Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We're uh, in our Torah study this week in Torah study number 7. Uh, and we're, we're studying Jacob, the life of Jacob. And right now, he's in the midst of having to flee from Esau because of that plan that he and his mom hatched. And there's uh, bad things as a result of that, but th- they did it with a good purpose. Uh, and so today, Jacob is on the run. Uh, and uh, his mom, uh, Rebecca, sends her to her family uh, back in Haran, uh, over towards Iraq. And uh, she wants him to live with his, uh, her side of the family while uh, Esau is on the prowl looking to do a hit job. So it's here uh, that we see that he meets his future wife, Rachel, ironically at a well, just like Rebecca was found by Eleazar at a well. And, uh, but he's on this journey out of Israel. He's going into an exile out of Israel into Laban's house, but on uh, the first part of his journey, God brings him to a very special place uh, that uh, most uh, uh, scholars believe is Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount. And uh, that's obviously in Jerusalem. It's the place where his father Isaac was offered up by his grandfather Abraham and God came through in the nick of time and uh, uh, he gave them a a ram instead to sacrifice. But this would be the future site of the holy temple for the Jewish people. And this is where God's Shekinah glory would come and eventually rest. Out in the wilderness when they left Egypt, they built the tabernacle and the presence of God and the Shekinah glory was on uh, the tabernacle, the Mishkan. Uh, But eventually they would build this magnificent temple. And uh, it would be right there on Mount Moriah. And this is where God's glory would eventually rest. And so the temple became a symbol of glory and greatness. Uh, And uh, it was for thousands of years until uh, it was destroyed. Then Herod rebuilt it and it was destroyed again during the Roman occupation. So this location that God brings Jacob to is really in... Judaism, the most sacred site in all the world. Uh, And uh, it's estimated that Jacob goes into exile in 1928 B.C., before Christ. So almost 2,000 years before Christ, uh, Jacob 
uh, has an encounter with God on the most holiest site, the Temple Mound in all of Judaism. And then it's important to note that it was over 2,000 years later that the Muslim armies showed up uh, and captured Jerusalem, and they, they were amongst many the occupiers of God's holy city and God's holy sites. Um, actually, uh, you guys have seen the picture. Some of you have been there. The last time we were in uh, Israel, we actually went up to the Dome on the Rock. First time we had ever gone up there, it, it, the access had opened uh, and it wasn't a threat, and so let's go up there, and uh, it was an amazing experience. But the Dome on the Rock wasn't completed until 691 A.D. So it wasn't until, you know, basically 2,500, 2,600 years after Jacob's encounter that uh, uh, Islam uh, took control. And in 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 a sense, the site we don't really think about this, but that site uh, in today's Torah study uh, was actually purchased by King David. Did you know that? There's actually scriptures in the Bible that teach about how David paid Ornan, the Jebusite, uh, a certain amount of gold to buy what was then a threshing floor. And to our knowledge, there's been no deed of sale from that time until now that somehow Israel sold that site to somebody else. No, they bought it, and then occupiers, one after another, the Greeks, the Assyrians, the Romans, the Muslims, even the Christians, the Crusades. How many of you, uh, you watch King Arthur? You watch Robin Hood with Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman, the Crusades. They're fighting to what? They're fighting to take over Jerusalem because in their minds it belongs to the Christians now and the Jews forfeited their right because they rejected the Messiah. It's amazing if you've got the bigger army what kind of narrative you can pass. So... Even today, Israel is being accused of doing the very thing that others are doing and have done. Isn't that amazing how conservative Christians are being accused in the media and in modern culture, uh, accused of the very things that the haters of Christianity are doing? Think about that. So... Uh, all of this is built uh, around anti-Semitism, right? One Jewish state is one too many, right? You got all these other states and uh, all these different Arab states. It's the old thing that Pastor talked about. Uh, the Middle East is the size of Jerry's world, the football stadium, and Israel is just a little matchbox on the field. And the Arab states for so, so long, led by the Palestinians, have said, if you give us half of that, 
then we'll be happy, and now you'll have your little half, and we'll have the rest, and we'll all be happy. Oh, okay, how do we sign up for that deal again? Thank God right now there's a movement that's really revealing the end times, that we're in the end times of all of a sudden the nations of Ishmael, the Arab nations, many are trying to find a way to normalize things with Israel. That's just not happenstance or coincidence. That's a sign that the end is coming. How do we know this? Because Ishmael and Isaac, as we were talking about, uh, came together at Abraham's funeral, at the very end of Abraham's life and funeral. What are Isaac and Ishmael doing together? We thought Ishmael was banished into, you know, the wilderness, never to be heard of again. That's a sign of the end times. And we're seeing many Arab countries in the nation of Israel normalizing right now. So, but this whole concept of this fight over the Temple Mount is just, there's haters of God. No matter how nice you want to be, there are people that have pledged their allegiance not to the Lamb of God, but they have signed a pact with Satan. And they're alive and walking in the earth right now. So God give us discernment because we don't need an alliance or we don't need to try to pacify lovers of Satan. But that's why anti-Semitism and the hatred of Israel exists. Because God chose Israel to be the keepers of the word, the oracles of God. And so you go all the way back, uh, you know, almost 4,000 years now, and Jacob finds his way to Mount Moriah where his dad was being offered up by his grandfather Abraham as a sacrifice. And uh, right there we're uh, in Jerusalem at the Temple Mount. But now as he's fleeing to Haran, he walks into another kind of anti-Semitism. And that's... uh, the anti-Semitism that springs out of his uncle Laban. That side of the family are not fearers of God. And uncle Laban, when you study this out, you realize he didn't want Jacob, and then when he married Leah, and then he married Rachel, remember, seven years. Oh, man, I got tricked, and I'll work another seven years. So, you know, it's really like 20-plus years later, uh, he wants, he's starting to feel, I've got to get back to the mission God gave Abraham and my father Isaac. i got to get back to Israel and resume some things that they started and that I pledged when I was there that night. I laid my head down on Mount Moriah and God spoke to me in a vision and in a dream. And I saw angels ascending and descending, climbing what we call now Jacob's Ladder. But Laban didn't care about any of that. He's family. 
but he could care less about Jacob's spiritual mission. What mattered to him was that uh, what made me rich, Jacob, keeps me rich, Jacob. So if Jacob leaves and I've prospered all the because of Jacob and now he's gone, then all of a sudden what's going to happen to my prosperity? Every year when we celebrate Passover, the Haggadah, the, the Seder teaching, Haggadah means secret. There are secrets in the Passover, and the biggest one is the Lamb of God, right? But uh, when you study this out, it says uh, Pharaoh sought to annihilate only the males, while Laban sought to uproot everything. So the, the enemy was using Laban to stop the spiritual mission. And if Jacob never returns from exile, there is no 12 tribes of Israel. There is no nation of Israel. Well, God may have done it a different way, but it wouldn't happen the way the Bible teaches us now. So unlike Pharaoh, who put out the genocide order to kill all the babies? Why do you think Christians and Jews, at, uh, by and large, hate the thought of killing babies? Because it's the spirit of Pharaoh. Pharaoh put out an edict. We want all the male babies to be killed. Herod, on, uh, during the Christmas story, put out a similar edict. Why do they do that? Because they hate Israel because Israel represents God's plan. Amen? Yep. And so Laban sought to uproot everything. Kill the dream and you kill God's plan. But if Jacob was ever going to fulfill his spiritual mission and destiny, he was going to have to break away from some things. Okay? And it's a great message to you and I, right? There's some things in our life that we need to break away from now that we've made Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives. And that doesn't mean that when it comes to family, we just kick them to the curb, throw them under the bus, we pray for them, we love them. But our allegiance to a side of the family that could care less about your religion has to be rethought. The priority has to change. All right? And that's why we try to relate some of uh, what's going on in Jacob's life with our own family and friends. Because just like Laban, sometimes our family and friends, they say things to stick you so that you won't go on and become all that God wants you to be and do all that God wants you to accomplish. They can't see the kingdom of God, right? They don't realize the covenant commitment that you've made. And they don't want to see you living that kind of life because it convicts them. Why aren't you doing it? So they speak negative words. And they promote a lifestyle that is meant to influence you and in how far you'll go with God. 
And this has a mental and emotional impact on our lives, okay? Sometimes that's why God takes you into an exile. We grew up in Flint, Michigan. I, I grew up in Flint. I met Lydia. She grew up in Buffalo and got to Flint. And when I saw her at the well, I said, that's it. I'm all in. Love at first sight. The morning after our 10-year class reunion, we moved to Seattle, Washington. We loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly, (laughs) the Beverly Hillbillies. We were a, we had an old beat up van and an old beat up trailer and every last thing that belonged to us that could fit was in there and that was that. God had to get us over 2,000 miles away from some familiar surroundings and especially me, I was a lunkhead. I, some people still think I am. But I had grown up, you know, since seventh grade. I, w- I started drinking in seventh grade. And I lived crazy from that point all the way uh, through my college age years. And, uh, you know, it's a bad story that turns out good because here I am. But God, for me personally, to emotionally and mentally sever what God wanted to do in my life, I couldn't do that in Flint, Michigan. We were just back in Flint, Michigan. Love them Coney dogs. They're better than Detroit dogs. They're better than Buffalo dogs. Flint, Coney, Starlight, Coney Island on Center Road at Davison are the best. But there's no way I could have served the Lord there. Too many influences to persuade me otherwise. So, this is why, in a sense, I get righteously angered. Sometimes you know that about me. You know, I'm not the quietest guy in the world. And I can get pretty intense. Part of that comes from my upbringing. You know, my dad's uh, uh, in heaven now, but he's an ex-Marine. And played fullback. (laughs) You know, where you use your head as a hammering. (laughs) Stick your head in there, son. He was my, he became a great coach. He's in the Michigan Coaches Hall of Fame. And uh, coached for, you know, 40 years or more. And he was my high school football coach. So ex-Marine, ex-fullback, football coach, you know. I mean, uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a fun life. <laughs> but I get righteously angered when I see people that the devil is confusing about their destiny. They have, even in church, you can come to church and have a bewilderment about your destiny. You're just bewildered and confused. God is not the author. 
of confusion. And if you're walking around with a spirit of confusion and you just can't seem to get it right, boy, you better get in your prayer closet and you better fight back because that's not God coming against you. He's the Prince of Peace. And a lot of times that bewilderment, that confusion comes because we have one foot in the world and we have the other in the kingdom. And it's that double-mindedness that really puts a lot of pressure on you because you're just pulled back and forth. You're like the, the, the you know, when they tie the little flag onto the tug-of-war rope and you're trying to pull the flag. That's you. <laughs> That's me. And the devil's pulling us and God's pulling us and we're pulling you in prayer. I don't like the idea that spiritual enemies would control you or me or my family. I don't like that at all. And that's why, you know, no one has to tell me to come to prayer. I don't need 32-week class on why I need to pray. Right? Somehow, some way, I know what the devil's up to. And I don't like it a bit. And so I'm willing to do something about it. Put your money where your mouth is. (laughs) That's my dad popping out. (laughs) Lydia's seen me make my dad's face a few times. The Bible says we don't battle with flesh and blood, so it's not like our families to blame. The enemy is using those circumstances in the family to influence us and persuade us from going to the next level with God. Jacob had a dream and he had a ladder. The ladder tells us symbolically that we need to be doing some climbing. Let's climb the ladder of spiritual success. And Laban, family, they don't care about your success. They care about their success. The stupidest thing somebody can do is sit around thinking that everybody else is thinking about you. (laughs) They're not home thinking about you. They're thinking about them. Duh. But we get so caught. Well, what will they think? They're not thinking about you. They're thinking about them. So we battle not with flesh and blood. And when we see the enemy coming against our family and coming against our dream, our vision, our destiny, by golly, we need to have a vision from heaven. Like Jacob had, where he saw angels ascending and descending. There is a level of communication, a level of ministry going on that transcends just the natural. And whatever it takes for me to tap into that, God help me tap into that. 
It's not hard for me to want to do that. I don't know why for some people it's hard. It's probably because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And so somebody's sprinkling leaven in your dream, in your relationship with the Lord, and that thing starts to puff up in, in life and overtake everything that God has. Am I helping somebody here? There's my little grandson. I don't know what motivates you in life. Find something that motivates you. Everybody has motivation. The reason that we don't live motivated is we don't have enough reasons to live motivated. You can take the most unmotivated man in all the world, put him in a rowboat, row out into the middle of the lake, and push that man overboard and hold his head underwater, and in about five seconds, you're going to see the most motivated man in the world. Because all of a sudden, he's got a reason to be motivated. It's called air. It's called life. (laughs) So find a reason. You know, it's like find a reason. Jacob found a reason. He grew up as the deceiver. He he played a massive trick with the help of his mom on his brother. And uh, we've taught this in the past because they thought Esau was going to get the blessing. They didn't realize Isaac had more than one blessing. And we won't go in and study all of that, but that was the big mistake that uh, Rebecca and Jacob made, is they thought Isaac only had one blessing. And if Esau got it, then Jacob would be left without. That's, that's a, a mindset that we see in America today. There's a group of people that are saying, there's not enough blessing to go around, so let's take from those that have been blessed and give it to those that aren't. Well, that might be a good idea if it's voluntary. But to make laws and to create uh, an attitude in people of envy and jealousy in order, I'm going to rob you so that they, well, maybe they don't deserve it. I don't know what they're up to. I know as for you and me, we are working our darndest. We're not waking up every day looking to be on the dole. We got a vision. We got a dream. We want to do some things and accomplish some things. And as God is our witness and the Holy Ghost and power inside of us, we're going to do that. So don't let, don't come around and take from me. I pay my fair share. I pay more than my fair share because I'm a tither. So I tie to the government and I tie to the, tie to the kingdom. Why? Because I'm laying up for myself treasures in heaven. Everything that goes on doesn't end when you take your last breath. There's an eternity. There's another side to eternity. And we're planning for that side. And so Jacob didn't understand God's timing, perhaps. It probably came out of the clear blue. 
but he, on his journey into exile, he comes to Jerusalem, and the Bible says in Genesis 28 that he lays his head down on this spot, at this place. And he stayed there all night because the sun had set, verse 11, Genesis 28, 11. And he took one of the stones of that place, put it at his head, and lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and it reached to the top of heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Then in verse 15, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Oh, take that as a word for your life. What has God spoken to you? God is saying to Jacob and he's saying to you and I, I will not leave you. I will never forsake you until everything that I spoke over your life is accomplished. Hallelujah. Then Jacob awoke and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. In other words, I didn't see that coming. We don't have time, but in 1 Chronicles 21, it tells the story of King David buying this property. It's an important real estate transaction that's never been rescinded. And at the end of it, once David buys this, he builds an altar. And he lights a fire and offers up sacrifices in that place. But in both instances, in Jacob and in King David, um, they were so uh, impacted by the experience that they offered up something to God. And a lot of times in our lives, we forget that part of the covenant. You know, if I just drop some a 20 into the offering, I offered up something and then I go on my merry way. And we wonder why we can't get a breakthrough. We wonder where is the power of God when I need it. Because your commitment is little, God's power is a little. If your faith level towards God is low, your power level will be low. And it's probably because your word level is low. People that are walking in great faith have a great love for the word and they have a great understanding of the covenant commitment that they've entered into. That doesn't mean you're a, a pious, sanctimonious dude or dudette. It just means you have revelation. You have discernment. You have a sensitivity. Jacob 
laid down in that place, the Bible says. And then he dreamed. And so moving forward, when we think about dreams and visions, we think about uh, a spiritual encounter. I mean, who doesn't want a spiritual encounter with Jesus? Come on, Jesus. Come on, angels. Descend on me. (laughs) Well, part of the secret from this teaching is you got to lay some things down. Mostly, you got to lay yourself down. In other words, offer yourself up as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can go on and prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Laying it down. It's an inner act of surrender. You know, just because we surrendered at the altar call doesn't mean that's the only time we surrender. That's a big part of it. Yeah, I'm, I can remember that day. It was like yesterday in many ways. But the more that you realize that God promotes the humble, and humility is seen by putting your own needs and desires on the back burner and not losing the idea that I'm here to be a light to the world. God, give me vision that I just don't think of me, my wife, my two kids, us four, and no more. Amen. So we lay ourselves down. And we do that in times of prayer and study. You know, early on, it might bug you to, why does God want me getting up at 3 a.m. or 5 a.m. or whatever a.m.? It's not my style, Lord. Well, maybe just for a season, he's saying, I want to see how far you'll go with me. And if you'll go a little bit further, imagine what God will do to honor that in your life. And so, you lay yourself down to get closer to God, but also to stop the worrying. Please, stop the rambling. Stop the worrying. Stop always popping off with everything that pops into your mind. Just because a thought pops into your mind doesn't mean you should repeat it. For all you know, the devil was sitting on your shoulder trying to get you to express it so that you would plant the seeds of negativity that would block your blessing. Never thought of that. Psalm 46.10 says, be still. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now be still so I can be exalted in your life. Jacob somehow figured this out. And he waited upon the Lord. He laid himself down. And the next thing that happens is he's got himself a dream that sustained him all those years in exile when Laban was throwing everything at him. His family was throwing everything at him to get him to back out of his commitment and that spiritual mission of Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob.
And the thing is, it was unexpected. Man, I didn't see that coming. Remember, we talked about that. And this is the thing that we have to realize in our own lives today. God doesn't just lay it all out there in front of us to see every little thing that's going to happen from here on to the end. Sometimes he just moves in, at his own time, in his own way. He's a sovereign God. Fortunately, we're learning that as we lay ourselves down, as we be still and let God speak to us, as we prepare ourselves, as we build ourselves up, as we climb this ladder of success, that preparation opens the door for opportunity. How come I don't ever have an opportunity or an encounter with God? Go back to the preparation. Go back to the original level of commitment and ask yourself, how committed am I? And hopefully you say, you know what? I'm all in, Lord. And as of today, if you need me to be more all in, I'm more all in. If I miss something along the way, you know, let's go back and we'll fix that together. It may not be convenient. It may, for the short run, be a little bit hard to say, oh, I don't want to be all in on that part. But if God stirs the waters, don't miss it, because that's where miracles happen. And he initiated something in Jacob that Jacob didn't see coming, but that didn't mean, in ancient Jewish tradition, it teaches that before he gets to Mount Moriah, he went to the yeshiva of Shem. And he studied with Shem. And part of the preparation, now we'll get to heaven and ask, now did that really happen? It probably did. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Waiting on the Lord. That doesn't mean that we just sit there like we're waiting in a drive through line at In-N-Out Burger. We were reading the other day, they opened one up in Colorado, and people were waiting in line for 14 hours. (laughs) Who's got that time to waste? I'll I'll catch you later. (laughs) There's got to be another burger joint that's pretty close, right? So waiting on the Lord isn't just sitting there, sitting around waiting. Waiting means serving. A waiter serves, right? The wait staff is serving. And so this is how you build your strength, waiting on the Lord through serving, getting your eyes off yourself, getting your eyes off of everything's just about me, myself, and Irene. I mean me, myself, and I. Now get this, the word wait in Hebrew implies a binding or a twisting together. And when I read that, I got real interested in that word twisting together. 
And uh, it's an image of what uh, Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes. How many of you have heard that, remember that scripture from Ecclesiastes 4, that a three-stranded cord is not easily broken? Jacob's encounter was a way for God to bind and twist and weave something together into his spirit and soul that would carry him through. He had had 20 plus years of exile coming. And so God bound him together on that sacred site. Bound him together, so there's Jacob, and there's the Lord, and what's the third thing? The vision, the dream. This is why the devil is called the dream stealer. Because when you got saved and you pledged your life to Jesus Christ, you were making the best decision you could ever make. And at that moment in time, God put seed in you to drive you and motivate you and stir you and inspire you to go for him all the days of your life. And the devil's trying everything. He'll send the Labans of the world to tell you it's not worth it. How many of you are with me today? It's been worth every bit. It's been worth every bit. But there was another example of the the twisting. How many of you uh, have ever uh, thought about or seen the twisted wool? What's the twisted wool in biblical terms all about? The twisted wool are the zitzits on the prayer shawl. Right? The zitzits, the, the, the tassels of twisted wool, some translations say. They're twisted and knotted together on the four corners of the tallit, and they represent the 613 commandments in the Torah. And so God is showing us by connecting those dots. It's Remember the drash? You're connecting different scriptures and principles to form a secret. And the secret here is, is that as you devote your time to studying God's commands, studying the lifestyle that he's laid out, it's going to produce an encounter. You're going to encounter his wisdom. His ways are above our ways. His wisdom is a lot greater than Google's wisdom. And so the three-stranded cord, the the twisted tassels of wool, the zitzits, are symbolic of God wanting to bind you with Him and the vision. Come on. When I got born again, I had that encounter. If you can't remember back to your born-again experience and value that and celebrate that and think about that and rededicate your life to what happened at that moment in time, do that. Go back in time. Get your DeLorean. (laughs) Go back in time and revisit that and make sure that that thing is a cherished pearl of great price. Amen? Amen? So, 
at the end of this, we're run out of time. He builds the altar in verse 17, verse 18. Jacob builds the altar, Genesis 28. And he calls the name of that place Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Oops. There it goes. They're falling down under the power. (laughs) Receive it. (laughs) You had to be in Torah study to understand what we're talking about. Bethel means house of God. Bethel. And what happened here is that God is now revealing a new facet of the mission that started with Abraham. See, with Abraham, he gave him the mission that uh, you're going to be the father of many nations and I'm going to give you the land. That mission was passed down to Isaac. But now through Jacob, it's expanded because now the vision includes building the house of God. My goodness. You see how God through the years can keep building and extending and expanding. Especially if we'll cherish those encounters. If we'll prepare ourselves beyond just 60 minutes on a Sunday morning. The vision of building God's house is a vision that every believer should have. When we get born again, we we get a lot of the teaching on the personal salvation side. We get a lot of uh, input on how you personally and individually can walk out. And that's important, we should. But there's another side to the same coin. That Christianity just isn't a me thing. Christianity is a we thing. And we come together as the body of Christ to to a cause. We join ourselves to a cause that's greater than just how I can get ahead. How can the kingdom get ahead? And that's the corporate side. So there's the personal side, the individual, and then there's the national, the corporate side. And when Peter talked about this in Second Peter in First Peter two five, he said, "Y'all are living stones. Y'all are being built together to form a spiritual house." He's using the plural to describe all of this. Because I have called you to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood so that we can declare the praises of God around the world. And I sense and feel a lot of that It happens at new beginnings because we just don't have the traditional charismatic version. I'm going to get me a pink Cadillac and that's it. That's, that's what it was in the 80s when we got saved. If you had a Cadillac, you were anointed by God. Well, now we look back and say, eh, not so much. 
But we can't overlook that. And I know you haven't overlooked that. You're praying not only for your own personal success, you're praying for the success of the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Now we could go on and on and on, and I have many, many more notes, but let's just close in prayer together. Father, we just love you this morning and thank you for this time of Torah study. Use this word today, Holy Spirit, to inspire and motivate us to help us walk into more of our destiny, to dream big dreams, and to receive big, big visions of what we can do in our own lives, for our own families, but also in the kingdom of God. Let every obstructing force that is trying to steer me away from you, from your plan and vision for my life, be defeated. We take authority over that and cast that away. And we loosen, Lord, your perfect will to be done in every way in our lives, our children, our grandchildren, all of our extended family, our church, our nation, and the nations of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah.